0: Blue line.
1: Welcome back. It's the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host Nick Lotto. Today we got a special show for you. It is the one, the only Mark Schofield joining us for the third straight year. This has been in back to back years our most downloaded podcast, our most listened to podcast. And it doesn't surprise me, Mark Schofield, in my mind, is one of the best, if not the best, quarterback. All 22 film evaluators, and that's what this podcast has been all about. That's what this podcast is all about, breaking down the film. And more importantly, it's about the number one topic surrounding the Giants, Daniel Jones. If you don't believe it and you haven't been following the NFL, you need a good quarterback to win in this league, in my mind and in a lot of other people's minds. Can Jones be that quarterback? Well, there's a lot riding on him this year, so we want to get to the bottom of it with Mark. We want to talk about what he's seen on film, what he's seen from Jason Garrett on film, because that offense is coming back, and we know that. What these new weapons can do for Jones? Will the offensive line progress with Jones? Can Jones help that? There's a lot of questions to be answered, and ultimately, we have high expectations on the Giants as fans, and obviously Nick and I going into this season, but it does ride a lot on Jones. So let's start this thing right off. But first of all, well,
2: first, Mark, tell us how you've been, man. Uh, I've been good, guys, Dan. Nick, it's great to be back with you guys again for... I guess, like you said, the third year in a row. It's been a nice little summer. It's Summer has actually sort of winded down a bit. We are now into August. we get got actual NFL football. We're recording this Monday afternoon. We get the Hall of Fame game Thursday. So we got training camps underway. Pads are getting put on. And we're starting to actually talk about positional battles and things like that rather than, you know, will Aaron Rodgers come back or not. So we're actually getting true football things to talk about, which is always fun. But it's great to be back with you guys. You know I did spend my weekend watching some more Daniel Jones yet again to get ready for the show, so I'm excited I'm pumped and I'm ready to go.
3: That's great to hear, Mark. And you know what? I think we'll start with the positives. All right. So we both, Dan and I, saw aspects of quarterback play that Jones kind of improved on in 2020, specifically how he manipulated middle of the field closed safeties to find backside one-on-one matchups. And we feel Golden Tate did a solid job with that, but he's no longer here. Did you see that same thing from Jones? And what else do you think Jones improved on in that lackluster season that was 2020?
2: Absolutely. And I, I think, you know, an example of that was a throw he made on a backside in break and route against the Rams. I forget exactly the, you know, the timestamp stamp on it and things like that. But you started to see that ability to attack between the numbers, to attack between the hashes, to, like you said, Nick, be able to move that middle of the field post safety with his eyes in those middle of the field, middle, middle of the field closed situations. We're seeing at the NFL level, the battlefield – between offenses and defenses right now seems to be what well, can a team on a defensive side of the ball show too high pre-snap and dare the offense to run the football. And if the offense doesn't take the bait, because look, we all know, pass it is king, Kane, then can the quarterback then execute against the middle of the field open coverage? Or if that middle of the field open too high safety looked against spun to that middle of the field, closed, single, high, and they're dropping one of those safeties down. And in the moments where Jones sort of saw that rotation last year, he was much better at reading that, at deciphering that, making the right decision with the football. Like you said at times, sort of throwing that backside one-on-one, you know, golden tape at times. I'd expect we'll see a lot of that from, you know, Kenny Galladay in the season ahead. And so that's going to be a critical part of his development going forward because I do think, you know, studying this game, thinking about this game, seeing where teams are trending on the defensive side of the ball, the ability to sort of read that middle of the safety open versus closed coverage situation and make the right decision and attack in the middle of the field is mm-hmm. going to be critical for his continued development. And we all know, look, if you're a defensive coordinator, if you can take a spot of the field away you're making it much tougher for the offensive coordinator for the quarterback to execute their game plan. I think about the years watching Tom Brady when he would go up against Rex Ryan and Rex would say, I'm not gonna let you throw, you know, that five yard, ten yard and in window between the numbers, between the hash marks. I'm gonna force you to throw outside. I'm gonna force you towards the boundary. We're gonna do some drop eight stuff. We're gonna, you know, mug gaps and then drop off to take away that underneath stuff. If you could do that as a defensive coordinator, you'd make life difficult for the quarterback. So you have to be able to attack the middle of the field. If Jones can't do that, it's going to make life so much easier for opposing defensive coordinators. And the fact he was able to do that last year, I think was huge for his development. As far as something else that really stood out to me, and this continues to be part of the interesting dynamic with, with Jones over the past couple of years, is down the field. I mean, he's a very effective deep ball passer we talked about it last year we talked about it um that, you know sort of verticals four verticals out of two by two or three by one he remained very effective running that concept last year and not just the film backs it up the numbers back it out in terms of you know throws over 20 yards jones was ranked eighth in the nfl and um you know adjusted completion percentage over pro football focus with 51.2 you know again that's behind guys like ryan danaill You know, Dak Prescott, you know, there's there's a sample size issue there because you have to sort of expand the list of quarterbacks who qualify under PFF's grading because he missed some time. But still, that's impressive to see from him. He's got the ability to attack downfield, which makes you sort of wonder about where the offense will be and evolve conceptually, how they'll get Evan Ingram evolved to deep downfield. I think that's something they would like to do more of, given the fact that of his six explosive plays last year, five of those came on vertical routes from Ingram. Only one was on a sort of curl or sit route, which for some reason Jason Garrett loves to call for him. But that's <laughs> an also another area, guys, that really stood out to me, was the improved you know, downfield vertical nature of the passing game from Daniel Jones last season.
1: Yeah, I think you're onto something there, Mark, and I think that, to me, would be probably the area where I think the Giants need to take most advantage of in 2021 as far as the vertical game goes, and I think, you know, according to Football Outsiders, Jones ranked second behind Deshaun Watson with a completion rate on those passes that travel 25 or more yards in the air, so really accurate on those throws. I think he does a good job there. My, my question for you would be this, and I I feel like, yes, Jones took some steps forward when it comes to processing and seeing things. But I feel like he took steps forward from where he was at. And to me, he wasn't ultimately at a really good spot on that heading into 2021. Part of the problem is that Duke, they really didn't ask him to do much. And then that first season, I really felt like he saw Pat Shermer's system a lot more clearly than Jason Garrett's. Obviously, we know that Jason Garrett will be returning this year, Mark. So, one, is it a fair assessment to say that he saw Sherman's system better, and then two, what can Garrett do as a coach to help Jones process faster?
2: You know, I think these are critical questions, Dan, and I do think that it's fair to point out that he seemed a bit more comfortable from a decision-making, from a progression-read standpoint, in Pat Schirmer's offense than he was last year, you know, under Jason Garrett, which again, going back to his time at Duke, you've got Cutcliffe, you've got you know, Pat Shrew's offense said, you've got Jason Garrett's system. And so that's three different offenses going back to the college level in three different years. Now he's finally going to have, you know, a a bit of a two-year system window in the same system. So I think that will help him. But you're right, Dan. You look at his interceptions, whether it's, you know, the interception that he threw. He had a couple against Tampa Bay where it's, you know, the decision's late, the ball is late, the throw is late, and everything sort of just goes haywire from there. Or, you know, you look at, The stick route that he got picked on by Fred Warner against San Francisco. Again, there's that stick concept to Evan Ingram. It keeps popping up when you talk about bad plays from the Giants last year. But that's a simple, you know, it's Meg man everywhere he goes on the backside because it's a three-by-one look, and then it's a soft zone, cover three look to the front side. It's a simple read and throw. You know, you get that soft zone. You know he's going to turn away from the linebacker. You got to get the ball out quickly. The only reason he gets picked is kind of because he waits. And, well, Fred Warner is pretty good. But that's a throw that he, Eric Hendricks picked him off the year prior. So there you, there you have a clear example of him, same concept, same coverage, same route, same pro, and he's still not reading it quickly enough. So he's going to have to get faster. You know, The deep, sh- deep stuff downfield is great and all, but when you start studying offenses, you know, offenses that are good tend to have a balance between trying to get explosive plays in the passing game and sort of trying to sort of just keep on schedule with concepts like stick, like tosser and quick game, things like that. And so you have to have that balance. So it's great that Jones has the downfield stuff, but on third and four, and you need to move the change, you've got to be able to read and throw. And so he's got to get better. What can Jason Garrett do to help him? I mean, first, I think there's the things that you can always sort of rely on, motion, pre-snap, movement, all the things that give you information before the snap. I've talked before with you guys about – that decision-making window as a quarterback, right? Say it's just three seconds from snap to throw. Maybe it's 2.5. Maybe it's It's 2.2. If those 2.2 seconds are all you're relying upon for getting information, you're going to be behind the eight ball. If you can somehow get information before the snap, whether it's going empty and seeing who lines up across from the running back, whether it's sending a receiver in motion across the formation and seeing who trails him, whether it's some other means of getting information from the deep from the defense pre snap, you need to have that because that expands your decision making window. If that 2.2 seconds gets to be sort of five seconds because of pre snap movement, eight seconds because of pre snap movement, and you get gathering that information before the play even begins, you'll make a better decision. So. You know, motion and pre-stab movement. I know I sound like a broken record when it comes to it, but I think you have to incorporate it because it's such a great way to give information to your quarterback. And then, of course, there are the route concepts themselves. We know things that Jason Garrett likes to run, but, you know, concepts that are both familiar to Daniel Jones, whether it's verticals or some of the other stuff that he was running, the Dukes, spot, stick, Ohio, or, you know, go flat, you know, but could still stress a defense regardless of coverage. And build it into that, routes or at least plays that have an answer for the defense regardless of what they throw at you. So, you know, we talked about middle field open, middle field close. Well, you've got a concept, a half field read system where if it's middle field close, you read in the left, middle field open, you read into the right. You just, you know that pre-snap. Kirk Cousins had a, a presentation earlier this summer. Actually, it was in the winter right before the draft through huddle where he talked about those half field, middle field, open, middle field, close reads, how it gives you information so you, you don't have to worry so much. Oh, do I, do I know which version of quarters this is? Is it stubby versus stump? No, I just know there's two safeties, so I'm reading the right side of the field. Or there's a single safety. I'm reading the left side of the field. So given Daniel Jones concepts that have an answer for whatever defensive coverage gets thrown at him and he doesn't have to worry so much about what specific coverage it is, it's just middle field, open, middle field, close, that will help speed him up as well.
1: Yeah, I think you nailed it, Mark. I think a lot of why Jones was so comfortable in that first season with Schirmer was because he asked him to do a lot of half-field, high-low reads. That was not the case as often with Garrett, though sometimes he makes that in. But I think my bigger concern, and I want to get your take on this, Mark, when it comes to Jones, because I do think there were plenty examples, especially in the second half of the season, where he did a really good job of pre-snap processing. There was a play where he moved uh, Deion Lewis outside uh, the formation when he was lined up in the backfield, got him lined up on a linebacker, hit him on a third and long. Well done. But my issue with Jones is less so the pre-snap processing and more so the post-snap processing. When what he thinks he's going to see isn't there, that's when he gets into a ton of trouble. And it's consistent with Jones. And my question for you is this, because you watch a lot of film of a lot of quarterbacks across the NFL – and I'm getting to the point, Mark, where I almost feel like the post-snap processing is natural to some of these guys. Tom Brady, Drew Brees, maybe it's because of study, maybe it's because they put more time into it. But I'm thinking that Dan Jones puts a lot of time into this as well, and I know he hasn't seen as much as those guys. But I also feel like there's other guys who are younger in the league who see it better post-snap when what they thought they would saw pre-snap just isn't there. How do you feel – where are you on that scale? How much of it is natural to these guys, and how much of it is something they can work on?
2: You know, I, I think it's both, Dan. I mean, I think for some it is natural. You look at Justin Herbert, I think sort of his post-snap process and it almost comes natural to him, or at least we didn't see it much when he was coming out of Oregon because of that offense, the way it was constructed. And then you see him last year and some of the rotations and, you know, different spun coverage looks – It seems like he's able to just read that right, put the football where it needs to be, and he's so great at identifying leverage in the secondary and that attacking the weak spots and leverage that, you know, Herbert had the kind of success that he had last year. And so, you know, I do think that there are some quarterbacks where it sort of comes naturally. I think for more of the veteran guys like uh, uh, Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers, they've seen everything, you know, you can't really sort of stump them. You can't really show them a coverage look where it's like, Man, I haven't seen it before. I mean, that's why last year when the Panthers sort of confused Aaron Rodgers and sort of left him after that Saturday night game where he was like, "Ah, they were selling some crazy stuff. I hadn't seen that before. That's why it caught so many people by surprise because it's it's rare that you could fool a quarterback like that, like Aaron Rodgers. So I think that there also is some sort of learned analysis and application thereof of the things that you learn the more you play the game, the more you see drop eight versus – you know, cover zero looks versus some of the other stuff the teams are doing right now. So there is a balance to that. But I think it is important, and when you referenced this earlier, Dan, that offense he was running at Duke, that really didn't tax him a ton in terms of decisions. You know, had so many of his drops were zero and one step drops, which are designed reads, designed throws, RPOs. And we're seeing this with some quarterbacks as they come out, that come out from these heavy RPO and designed read and throw systems that. It does take them a bit of time to get up to speed, and we all know the way the NFL works. Now nobody has any patience. you know we expect results right now and so you know there is going to be this continued learning curve, I think. I, I, it's an area where he has to get better. that sort of ability to diagnose post snap even if he has all the information in the world, they can still do something to confuse you and how quickly quickly you diagnose what they're doing and make the right decision with the football is the difference between being a good quarterback and and an elite quarterback in the NFL.
3: Another area that Jones had to definitely improve on from 2019, 2020 was turnovers. And Jason Garrett, he said as much heading into the actually after the 2020 season, because Daniel Jones had 18 fumbles and 12 interceptions that first year. And he was able, Jason Garrett, that is to cut Jones's turnovers to 11 fumbles and 10 interceptions. But we know the offense did not have a lot of explosive plays. Do you think that, Garrett called an offense at the expense of explosive plays to kind of mitigate Jones's proclivity to turn the football over.
2: I I think at times, Nick, he did some of that. I think at times, you know, Jason Garrett, for the reputation as a guy rooted in the choreo system with downfield shot plays and being aggressive downfield, he did sort of call an offense that seemed to rely on quick game and getting the ball out of Jones's hands at times, and maybe that was a function of the offensive line issues. Maybe that was a function of. You know, with Saquon Barkley going down, the running game was struggling at times. Maybe they thought they needed to sort of replace the run game with the quick passing game. You know, maybe it was a combination of all those issues. But it did seem that, you know, in that sort of juxtaposition between explosive plays and on-schedule plays, you look at the Giants and they sort of tilted towards, you know, the on-schedule plays side of the ledger. I mean, another way to think about that is you sort of look at, you know, different offenses around the league. And again, how I talked about how, you know, teams sort of structure their offense and that trying to get that balance between explosive plays and just sort of staying on schedule. The Giants were one of those teams that really sort of seemed to just rely more on staying on schedule. You know, you look at, you know, their rates for, call-and-plays in terms of the explosive realm, it was more on-schedule stuff. And this is something that, you know, I've just gone through the Sports Info Solutions data challenge, and this is something that my group sort of looked at, was teams in terms of of explosiveness versus that on-schedule stuff. And the Giants were one of the teams that really seemed to try to stay more on-schedule. And it goes to the idea that rather than looking downfield for big plays, they wanted to minimize turnovers, they wanted to minimize mistakes, perhaps they wanted to minimize that offensive line as much as they could. And so perhaps that explosiveness was the sacrifice that was made towards trying to stay on schedule, keep the football, and avoid turnovers.
3: Now that makes a lot of sense, and we all know the offensive line has been shaky. We're hoping for an improvement this year with Will Hernandez being the uh, being the elder statesman at 25 years old.
1: And I would say one thing with regards
3: to that, I think that's
1: a lot of – it goes back to a lot of a philosophical discussion. To me, I think whenever you're in offense and you're going to kind of – I don't know if I want to say, like, if you're going to put these explosive plays on the back burner and have your idea of staying on schedule, I think it does limit you a lot as an offense. And I will say this with regard to that. And Nick's going to get to this in a second with regards to their two areas they struggle the most, which is the red zone, which we want to talk to you a little bit about, especially because they've been working on so many red zone drills already, and training camp seems to be their biggest focus so far. But when we went back on the film and we were watching a little the other day, me and Nick, it is apparent a lot of the times that the offensive line is not doing their job, and that definitely can impact you as a play caller. So I want to give Garrett that credit, but... I, there are a few things, Mark, that we're going to get to in a little bit that I want to talk to you with regards to Garrett because I know you see a lot of offensive systems. So I don't want to let leave him off the hook just yet.
2: And what's interesting is, you know, I mentioned that sort of study that we looked at, explosive versus on-schedule concept raid. a team that called, you know, by what we designed, by what we termed in the study, the most on-schedule concept plays, the, like, safer ones, and the team that called the fewest amount of explosive plays, was the New York Giants. Like, I'm looking at the graph we put together right so now. Painful. It's and, so painful to hear, Mark. And, and over 70% of their play calls were what we termed sort of on-schedule on concepts, whereas, you know, the other you know, 30, you know, were the sort of explosive plays. Like, the the, the way the graph is set up – You have the Giants in the bottom right, the sort of most on-schedule team. And then you have the Patriots in the upper left, which is fascinating to think about given their offensive lows. When they called passing plays, they tried to throw haymakers, and they just tried to be explosive. Um, So that gives you a sense of where the Giants were. And, you know, I can share that graph we put together with you guys. I'll I'll drop it in the DMs. You can share it out with your readers as well. It was one of the more fascinating studies we found um, in, in this entire project.
3: I would love to actually get my hands on that, and it's no surprise with Jason Garrett, who's naturally conservative, a second-year quarterback, first year in a system, and an offensive line that had just a lot of issues littered throughout it, but Mark, I wanted to kind of touch on the flip side of explosive plays, and that's the Giants passing attack in the red zone. It was really bad last year, and they were kind of efficient running the ball in that area, Sands, Saquon Barkley, which was surprising. They did a solid job in that regard, but they just were not good in the red zone passing the football from a scheme and Daniel Jones standpoint because they did upgrade the personnel. How can the Giants really rectify this issue in 2021? You know, trying to get better in the red zone is, is an issue for a ton of teams. I mean,
2: my New England Patriots that's another example where, look, they first and the goal from the four felt like an automatic field goal best case <laughs> scenario like every time. They just they they couldn't find ways to put the football in the end zone to you know, not even get explosive down there, just be effective down there. And I I do think that for the New York Giants, you know, some of the run game stuff that you talked about, that will certainly help. I do think the addition of Kyle Rudolph, that gives you two, you know, even if Rudolph is not going to give the Giants a ton overall, I think that's an area of the field where he could certainly be a huge help for this offense is down in the red zone because – Rudolph isn't the best blocker ever at tight end, but he's gotten better at that throughout his career. You know, the time I've spent studying him, he's gotten better in that regard. And so certainly if they decide to go 12 personnel down there with Ingram and Rudolph on the field, you can have Rudolph be that in-line guy and make it almost a big 11 if you wanted to with Ingram in the slot and give yourself the opportunity to still run or pass based on the defensive look. So I think the addition of Rudolph will help. Obviously, you know, one thing that Jones has done, you know, here and there is make plays with his legs. So you think back to his first start against Tampa Bay and the game went in touchdown with his legs. You know, he's going to have to pick some spots where, if he doesn't like that look when he drops back, make something happen with his legs. You know, you take advantage of the athletic ability he has. I do think getting Saquon Barkley will help because he'll also give you that run pass option down there. He's an effective receiver out of the backfield. And this is the, the, the red area is a part of the field where I do think Kadarius Tony, you know, he's being brought along slowly because of COVID and things like that. But I do think this is an area where he could be very effective because you watch him and how he was used at Florida. You could do some things with him out of the backfield. You could do some things with him in sort of the short area. These option routes, those quick change of direction routes, which are Obviously, a critical down in the red zone where things happen so much faster, where you just need a little bit of space to make something happen. I think Tony can be a big part of what they do down in the red zone. Even if he's not a huge weapon, say, between the 20s, he could be a pretty good weapon for a New
3: York 20 and in. It's so funny, Mark, because you legit, like, just look at the script that we have written of questions, and you just kind of answer a lot of the questions as you go through. <laughs> you have this real knack for doing that. It's actually really, really impressive, because my next question was about, uh, that's that short passing attack of the Giants 2020 offense and how without Barkley, the running backs actually had as many drops as they did missed tackles in the receding game last year. So it was really, really ineffective. And I wanted to actually pick your brain to see if Kyle Rudolph, Kadarius, Tony, and a healthy Saquon Barkley can really actually enhance that short area between you know five yards of the line of scrimmage the passing attack and if you think Jason Garrett has the capability of really maximizing plays in that area since he does kind of have a conservative offense I mean Dan and I have been talking about the Texas combination with Saquon Barkley for so long and I feel like we haven't really gotten to see that at least last year he wasn't there we didn't really see that route combination but we love the angle route do you think Jason Garrett will be able to do that with Kadarius Tony and some of these new personnel that they added? I hope
2: so. I mean, I, I wrote over uh, Big Blue View after the Tony, like Darius Tony picked the different ways that, you know, Florida used him in the creative ways that you could get Tony involved in the passing game, whether it's in the backfield on wheel routes, whether it's those in the slot, you know, quick crossers where he was very effective. One of the things I liked most about his game was his ability on that sort of shallow crosser to find soft spots, to find holes in underneath coverage, sit down versus zone. Obviously, we know he has the ability to run away from man coverage. Then, of course, you know, option routes, juke routes, and things like that. So I put this article together, and pretty much every comment or response to it on Twitter was, Jason Garrett's never going to do that. He's too conservative. (laughs) So I understand where (laughs) Giants fans' heads are at on this. I do think, though, that, you know, any time... An offensive coordinator, or you know, defensive mind, and a head coach, or an offensive mind that should be head coach gets a new weapon like that. They're going to want to try to find ways to get them involved, and I I do think that, you know, Garrett will find ways to get Tony involved to be that sort of short, quick game type of option. And I don't want to rule out Kenny Galladay in this respect as well. One of the things that I loved about Galladay um, when I was studying him in preparation for the agency was he seemed like that you know, effective weapon to all levels of the field. And obviously the stuff he can do in the D passing game gets the headlines and the attention. But I also loved what he did working between the middle of the hash marks over the middle of the field. And even, you know, in the quick game stuff on slants, on pivots, on, you know, shallow crossers, he's very effective on those routes as well. And so I do think when you put all of this together, you know, there's certainly a recipe between Barkley and what he could do out of the backfield, and obviously moving him outside and letting him run some routes on the boundary from the slot. You know, the addition of Tony, the addition of Gallaudet, even particularly down to the red zone, getting Kyle Rudolph involved, they could have a bit more of an efficient passing game when they need to. It's just I would like to see more balance from this offense on general. Again, I go back to that ratio. You know, basically like seventy thirty on schedule versus explosive, I'd like to see that be maybe 60, 40, 55, 45. You know, try to be, you know, effective when you need to be, explosive when you can be.
1: I would even argue, Mark, that an offense would be operating at its best if it was flip. You know, if you went to over fifty percent of trying to be explosive. I, I, I personally, this is a philosophical football thing. We're not going to get into this right now entirely or too in depth. But I'm not a big believer in staying on schedule as your because when it's just like this. It obviously has its purpose to stay on schedule in football. But when that's your focus and when that's what you're driving for, it's like the Jason Garrett system to me felt last year like. He was trying to get 10 yards in three plays every single time. And yeah. it just catches upside so much. Yeah, and
2: did. it sort of goes to what we talked about earlier, right? When I talked about how, you know, if you know where an offense is going to attack, then you could probably take that away as a defensive right. coordinator. And if you know that Jason Garrett is going to be so focused on staying on schedule and those plays in the five- to eight-yard range – you can sort of do what you know Rex Ryan did to Brady, which was lots of underneath defenders, really jam those crossers, really make those routes tough to run, and sort of take that stuff away. And If you know Jones has to then throw over the top by default or towards the boundaries by default and create explosive t- explosive plays out of nothing, you're doing your job as a defensive coordinator. So I think it sort of ties into that earlier discussion where if you're so on schedule you know focus and if you're so focused on that area of the field it's going to make you easier to defend
3: and once you're easier to defend it's say some curveball gets thrown at you daniel jones gets sacked because andrew thomas is b and now you're in a second in like 15 and then it's just even more difficult for you to create explosive plays because you're not used to creating them yeah exactly And, Mark, I want to also actually bring up something about blitzes because Jones tended to struggle specifically against defensive back blitzes last season. Do you attribute this more to Jones having tunnel vision and not seeing that creeper, which results in him not throwing hot and just not being aware of it? Or would this be a bit more on that play side offensive tackle or tight end not communicating that disguised blitz?
2: I mean, ultimately, it's up to the quarterback. Like, ultimately, look, you have to know in every protection scheme the weaknesses, the, the parts that can't, the blitzes that can't be picked up, and you have to be acutely aware pre-snap of, you know, I'll use a ridiculously simplified example, but, you know, if you've got a full slide to the left and your, your tight end is on the right side of the formation and he has a free release, you've got to know that he's hot. You've got to know that... If you get a blitz over your right tackle to his outside shoulder from a linebacker or defensive back creeping down into the box, then it's not getting blocked up. You're tied is a free release and the football has to go to him. Now, if somebody then is also mugging the A-gap and gets through and he's the guy that drills you or you take a sack because of that or a turnover because of that, that's, yeah, maybe you should have gotten it away, but that's not really on you. There are times in protection calls where you are responsible for a blitzer as the quarterback, and you have to know if that guy comes to get rid of the football. And Jones is sort of, pro, you know, proclivity to miss on some of these boundary blitzes. That's on the QB, you know. That's on the QB. And yes, you know, the the, the blitz side tackle and guard can try to communicate that, you know. But at some time, at, at the end of the day, look, the quarterback has to know where those weak spots and protections are, and if he cannot know ahead of the play ahead of the snap that he has to get the ball out and he gets sacked as a result then it's on him you know and you know there are failures going back to last year up front that have led to some sacks and some turnovers and some bad plays but plays like that those are on the QB
1: yeah and Mark and that I actually wanted to get into a little bit of the system stuff with you but that leads me to something else I wanted to ask you about before that and you kind of did a nice job transitioning it I think last season Without Barkley, it's kind of become an accepted narrative heading into this year that, you know, defensive coordinators played the Giants so differently without Barkley. And now that Barkley's back, they can't just sit in those two high looks and play a zone and force, you know, Daniel Jones to beat them. But Ultimately, there were specific game plans where even if Barkley was in the game, we saw it against the Steelers. We saw it against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We saw it to some extent against the Arizona Cardinals and to some extent against the Ravens, but most specifically against the Bucks and the Steelers, where it doesn't matter who the running back was because those defensive coordinators had no respect for Daniel Jones. They were blitzing early and often. They were sending defensive backs. They were sending different types of players from different directions. And he did a poor job, in my opinion, of really diagnosing them. In some spots, he actually did see it, but then he, he seemed a bit rattled and his throw was off target and off bounce. Do you feel like with regards to that, Saquon Barkley is going to make a massive difference there, or is that something Daniel Jones specifically has to improve on?
2: You know, I think Barkley and having him back will help, you know, because obviously you might want to do things a little bit differently. You're not going to really sell out and blitz if you're worried that Barkley is going to get you know hit you on a draw play or something like that. But this is another area where ultimately Jones is going to have to get better at that. He's going to have to get better at blitz recognition, blitz awareness, getting the football out of his hands on time in rhythm, even when you're getting blitzed. As a quarterback, you should love it when you get blitzed. Like that's a chance for a huge play. You know, there's often this idea that you know some defensive coordinators have you know blitz the heck out of a young quarterback, and with Jones, it certainly worked. But I'm often in the mind where. you know, the young quarterback starts showing that he's going to be able to execute in those moments, then you're going to dial it back. Because what you're really doing is you're giving him an opportunity to make a simple read and throw. Think back to sort of how this conversation began, right? We talked about how do you speed up Daniel Jones from a process and standpoint. One of the ways that that gets done artificially is if you blitz him and he has to throw hot, decisions are out the window. Progressions are out the window. You're throwing the tight end hot. You're throwing... You know, some, some you know, Bruce Arians, for example, his hot routes are often just shallows working from the backside. So you might, if it's a play like that, you might just be thrown right to Kadarius Tony on a shallow route. Your decision-making is out the window. So these are moments where Jones could theoretically be a much better quarterback than the kind of quarterback that everybody hopes he could become because the decision-making is thrown out the window. I'm getting blitzed. This is where it's coming from. I'm throwing hot. Boom. We're done. I'm dusting myself off and getting ready for the next play, but we just picked up 15 yards. And so this is an area where he can improve, where he should improve, and where he needs to improve if he's going to have that year three leap.
3: So all these improvements are something that Giants fans are just hoping for right now, Mark. And you know what? In the offseason, there have been a lot of comparisons to Josh Allen being equated to Daniel Jones just from the sense of a year two to year three type of jump. But the physical ability of Allen seems to be much better than what Jones can offer, despite the fact that Jones is a pretty darn good athlete as well. But do you believe there's any possibility that Jones can take a monumental step into, let's say, the top ten? in this third season?
2: I mean, I think it's
3: possible. I mean, part of the problem is, you
2: know, when you start putting together, say, top 10 quarterback lists, there, you know, there's 10 good ones out there. There's 12 good ones out there. I mean, so, you know, he's going to have to be doing some leapfrogging to get in there. But I do think, you know, keeping it more macro-focused, there's certainly the potential for that year three leap. You've got the second year, second straight year in the same offense for the first time since college for him which I do think will help. One of the reasons, you know, and there are many reasons, there are myriad reasons why Josh Allen took his huge stride last season. You could point to Stephon Diggs, and there's certainly a parallel there. You could point to the work that Josh Allen has done himself, and Daniel Jones is certainly doing the work in the offseason as well. But it's the consistency from the offensive coordinator spot. There's a reason why Brian Dable is a head coach and waited. It's because – The consistency in the offense has allowed Josh Allen to get comfortable. You know, comfortable quarterbacks are effective quarterbacks. And, you know, I've said this, Quincy Avery, who's a quarterback coach, he said it a ton. You know, the more comfortable you are in the offense and the people around you in the system, the better you're going to be as a quarterback. So I think the stability in offensive philosophy from, you know, last year to this year is going to be a big reason why you could see that leap. Yes, there are other reasons. You know, I mentioned Stephon Diggs. You know, getting a nice weapon for Josh Allen seemed to help him. They went out and got Kenny Galladay. You know, you looked at improvements on the offensive line. They finally had some stability and consistency up front for the Bills. Maybe we actually get that from the New York Giants this year. And so there are other reasons why you could expect them to perhaps take that year three leap. But I think the biggest It's just having that consistency from last year to this year with the playbook, with the designs, with the concepts, with the reads, with the hot reads and things like that. Let's not forget, you know, we just saw the Tampa Bay Buccaneers win a Super Bowl, but Tom Brady, one of the best quarterbacks of all time, said that it wasn't until like late in the season where he started really feeling comfortable with the playbook, you know, even just with calling plays, you know, and that's Tom Brady, you know. So (laughs) that just is an example of... You know, and yeah, he was in a Patriots offense. It was basically the same from his rookie season until he left. I mean, you look at playbooks from that first Super Bowl run to the most recent ones, there's a ton of similarity there. But it just tells you that that knowledge base, that comfort base in the offense, it means a ton for a quarterback, whether it's Tom Brady or Daniel Jones.
1: Yeah, I think you nailed it. And I think if he does take that year three leap, it will look a lot more like the leap Baker Mayfield took last year than the one Josh Allen took last year. And ultimately, and this is for another conversation, you'd have to ask yourself, is that a ceiling that you want to bank on long-term and pay a lot of money your cap to long-term? All of those things, like what's the ceiling in the NFL? And I think Baker will do a good job of answering that this year, so the Giants will kind of at least have a little bit of a blueprint. If Jones can get to that Baker level this year, you kind of see what that looks like going into, you know, after the season. Can the Browns make this Super Bowl run, or are they just a the team that makes the playoffs? And loses to the Patrick Mahomes of the world. But I, w- I want to let you go, Mark. You've already given us so much of your time. But I did want to talk to you a little bit about this. So we got to ask you at least one question specific to the system. So, because And I ask you this, Mark, because I know that you've evaluated a lot of quarterbacks on film. And that means you've evaluated a lot of different offensive play callers on film. Nick and I really only have a chance to evaluate Jason Garrett and Bat Shermer before him. So one of my biggest you know, qualms with this Jason Garrett system is I feel like there are so many routes that are breaking back toward the line of scrimmage when you really should be designing more routes that are breaking upfield or toward the sideline. And I also feel like there's just so few times where Jason Garrett's play, specific play calling and specific route combinations put safeties in conflict, which is something Nick and I have t- talked about. All offseason, the Giants seem to do a better job of put, putting safeties in conflict. Is this just how we feel because we're watching one system? Or have you, have you kind of, you know, having seen all these different systems, do you feel like the Giants kind of fall into that a bit?
2: No, I, I think you guys are right. And, I mean, let, let's just use Evan Ingram as the example. I mean, how many routes do you see Evan Ingram running, you know, where it's stick or it's curls or, it's a, you know, a comeback route where, you know, if he catches it. It's maybe a 10-yard gain if he breaks a tackle, but that's probably going to be it. But then you see the six explosive plays that he had last year, five of those were vertical routes where he's going downfield. And like you said, Dan, sort of stressing the safeties because, you know, when you start thinking about, again, where this game is being fought right now, traditionally, you know, past seven or eight years, it was, oh, you're trying to get guys into space, whether it's guys in the flat or guys just out of the backfield and get your your playmakers to football in space. But now I think you're seeing up the seams and trying to attack those safeties, particularly if they're going to stick in these single high looks, put that safety into conflict, make him make a decision. You know, run Evan Ingram on a dig in front of him, put Kenny Galladay on a post behind him and see which one he dives on. That sort of Mills or Portland concept if it's coming from opposite sides of the formation, like in Portland or Mills if it's the same side. But you've got to find ways to stress those playmakers at the third level of the defense. That's how you generate your explosive plays. And if we get back to that concept of on schedule versus explosive, if you up a couple of more of those play calls and put those guys into conflict, you're going to have success. Think about their first, I think it was their first touchdown last season. It came on one of those Dig post combinations against a single high look, safety dives down on the dig, the backside corner doesn't replace in the middle of the field quickly enough, and you get a touchdown on the post route over the top. When you're putting players on the defensive side of the ball into conflict, good things happen. So that is something that I think Jason Garrett needs to do a better job of because you start watching offenses like obviously like Kansas City and the different ways that they put defenders into conflict, even Tampa Bay, Bruce Arians, we know he's a vertically minded, you know, offensive coordinator, you know, Brian Liftwich which is vertically minded as well. They will put guys into conflict downfield, whether it's verticals, whether it's other different route concepts that really sort of stress those safeties. You have to find ways to do that because that's how you generate those explosive plays. doesn't have to be every game, you know, every play, every drive, but you've got to start sprinkling more of those in. I'm reminded yeah. of one of the – the Patriots playbooks that I've read, and they literally have a section called shot plays where they say we will call shot plays four or five times a game with, this, with the simple goal of trying to hit them deep. You know, and that's the New England Patriots offense that everybody knows was horizontal-minded, quick game, and all that stuff. But even they realize that you have to take some shots, you have to stress those safeties. If you're not, they're going to start creeping down, and it gets us back to that, you know, that discussion about. You know, if the defense knows where you want to attack, they can take it away. If you're not doing stuff to stress those safeties, you're playing into that defense.
1: Yeah, and it's cool to me, and I want you to definitely share that study with us, but even despite having Cam Newton as the quarterback, who was obviously dealing with, in my mind at least, some physical limitations from a throwing standpoint, the accuracy was just not there and the injuries on that offensive line, and the situation at wide receiver, New England was still one of the teams, and you said the most aggressive team when it comes to like the idea of staying on schedule or trying to create these explosive plays, and that just goes to show, in my mind, what the right style of coaching tends to be, despite your personnel and how you can kind of adjust, even given your personnel. But thank you, Mark, so much for taking the time with us today. This was, as usual, just unbelievably excellent analysis I am guaranteeing the fans are going to love it and I'll let you know and I'm sure you'll see it as well in the Twitter replies. Is there anything else you wanted to sign off with, Mark, or anything you want to promote at this time?
2: No, man. Guys, it's always a blast coming on with you. I always love catching up with you guys and the chats we have about the Giants. I mean, I do think that On paper, this could be a team that makes a run of the division. I do think that. But as we all know, I think the three of us will agree whether that happens or not. is going to rely on if Daniel Jones takes that year three leap or not, and I'm excited to see if it happens. So are we. So are we. Mark, thank you so much for coming on, bud. Thanks so much, guys. Have a good one.